Can you guys see this? Yeah? Poor man's foosball. I want to thank Susie Urice for finding this in her basement and thinking that my kids would like it. They do. They do. You want to play? Sure. Okay. You want that side? Yeah. How about you take this side? Okay. All right. You got a ball? I don't. Do you? I got a golf ball. That'll work. Okay. First score wins. Um, I'm red. You're white. Okay. Ready? Uh, I've got to warn you, man. I, I used to be a professional foosball player. Yeah. If the definition of professional means you get paid to do something. I worked at East Central Community Center where I played foosball with kids and got paid for it. So it makes me professional, right? Yes, I can. It's too bad you guys don't have like a camera up here. This is an intense game. We, we might be here a while, huh? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Uh, they were. Oh, home goal. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. <sighs> Foosball. Imagine with me for a second that this was the only soccer you knew. Okay, great game. Lots of fun. It's on a table. You can take it practically anywhere. Put it on your living room, on your back deck. You can bring it to church and play on the uh, communion table. <laughs> awesome. There's, there's, there's parameters around it, right? I mean, you got you got a square here. The ball's not going to bounce out unless you use a ping pong ball. Then it bounces out quite regularly. Um, structure, I mean, these guys will move side to side. No front to back. But, I mean, still, great game. And if this were the only soccer you knew, it'd be pretty cool, right? Yeah. I mean, look at Tim and I. We worked up a sweat just trying to score in like 30 seconds. Now imagine with me the awe and amazement the first time you saw real soccer played on a field. Big field, real people, you can run all over the field, not just side to side, but up and down, and, 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 and the things you can do with a ball, I mean, you can pass, you can bend it from the corner, you can juggle, such grace with the ball. And in, in, in today's world, especially this year, World Cup soccer year, if you didn't know that, this is World Cup, probably the biggest event globally that you will ever find out. This is life for people. Soccer is life. Uh, most of you know I coach my kids' soccer teams. I've been doing that for about eight years. And two weeks ago, we played this team, the Blue Blaze. The Blue Blaze. They're a good team. They haven't lost in over two years. And they got their sponsored. They don't have just the normal league jersey. Okay, they're sponsored. They got their names on the back. They got some company on the front. And they've got a coaching staff. There's like three guys with, with, with uh, the jersey on. And one's leading them through warm-ups. And one's leading the defense. And one's leading the offense. And the other is just barking back and forth at the other coaches. And these guys are good. Okay? So we played them two weeks ago. They haven't lost in a long, long time. They actually beat us earlier in the season like six or seven to two. So they handled us really, really well. I was talking to the coaches beforehand, and uh, I was like, how do you guys get so good? How often do you practice? 
Well, we practice three times a week, and one of those times we're scrimmaging a team that's uh, two years older than us. My team practices once a week, and, and we're better when we don't. <laughs> so the coach says to me, man, it'd be good if somebody could beat us. Some of our guys are getting kind of arrogant. I'll see what we can do, coach. <laughs> we, we played them scoreless the first half. It was intense because, you know, we've played them every year, and they've always just thrashed us. So our parents don't like their parents, and the kids don't like them. Play them scoreless at half, 0-0, defensive struggle. It was awesome, and we're thinking to ourselves, we're playing great, right? Well, imagine the, the sideline that just erupted our sideline when we scored about halfway through the second half. Oh, they were nuts. Yeah, it's one to nothing. And there's still a lot of games, and I've seen them score like 10 points in a matter of minutes. So I wasn't at all like, you should, you should have seen our sidelines when we scored again about five minutes later. Two to nothing. I mean, we're talking fists pumping. They were jumping up and down. There was voices going on. Unimagined emotion, unimagined feeling for this game of soccer. It was amazing. We ended up winning two to nothing. I'm going to retire from coaching. <laughs> Go out on top. We beat the Blue Blaze. That's right. Is real soccer, I mean, was football a bad game? No. And if it was the only soccer you knew, it would be fine. But the truth of the matter is, soccer played on a field with, with real people is better. It's better. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to open your word, to hear from your heart. I pray that your heart would speak directly to our hearts this morning. God, we want to come away knowing you more and being changed by that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we continue our journey through the book of Hebrews. So go ahead and grab your Bible. Open it to Hebrews chapter 8. Well, our section is Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 13, which is actually all of that chapter. And this is a chapter about being better. Chapter about being better. Okay? So listen and follow along. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. The author writes, here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there already are priests who would offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on this mountain. Verse 6. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. 
This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will already know me. And I will forgive their wickedness, and will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. A chapter on better. And this is actually kind of a follow-up of one of the verses in chapter 7. Verse 22 in that chapter says, Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. Of course, that ties in with chapter, or verse 6 really, really well, which, which we already read. A better covenant. Better promises. Better. You guys like that word? Better? Yeah. In some ways, I do. Okay? The first time I go out and grill for the summer, when I, when I cook the hot dogs, the first batch gets burnt. Not an actual picture. That has too much red left in it. Okay? When I cut the second batch, it comes out better. Now, when I, think of the, when I say that, and I think of the first batch of hot dogs, I, I ask myself, were they bad? Well, they were covered in char. Uh, I couldn't even claim to have cooked them Cajun style. They were just flat out burnt. Okay? Inferior, maybe. Almost to the point of uneatable. So the second batch was better. So does that mean the, the first batch was inferior and the second batch was superior? Better. We have to kind of understand that in our biblical text, when the author is writing about this word, this idea of better, when he speaks like this, he was not putting down the former. He was not saying that what we had before was inferior and what we have now is superior. He wasn't demeaning the former. He wasn't saying it was bad, worthless, non-functional. He was really just arguing that with Jesus as high priest, what you get is better. And here's where an understanding of the Greek word really helps. The Greek word used for better is kriton. It means what is more fully developed. It means more complete. Okay? More fully developed. More complete. Let's go back to the example of the two types of soccer. Foosball. It's a great game. Fun. Structured. And if this was all you knew about soccer, it'd be fine. But when you experience soccer on a field, you see that it's definitely more developed. It's more complete. Does that make sense? You're tracking with this definition of of better? Keep that in mind as we look at the betters that are found in chapter 8. Let's start with uh, verse 1. I love how the author begins. He says, here is the main point. Or now the point we are saying is this. 
It's as if the author starts chapter 8, which is one of these pinnacle chapters in Hebrews, and he says, just in case you were all confused by what I've talked about Jesus as high priest the last three chapters, let me clarify, let me simplify, let me, let me make it to where you understand, let me show you what makes him as high priest better. So verse 1, here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. Here is new. He says, here is better. Here is more complete, more fully developed. See, the old system had a tent or or a temple, and it had a curtain. And only once a year could one person go behind that curtain into the presence of God. This new system has Jesus as high priest in the place of honor. Now, we've talked about that in the last couple of weeks. The the innermost of innermost places. The the presence of God right next to him. The place where power and authority meet service and interceding, and they all collide. Jesus is beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. That's more complete than what former high priests were. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. And then the author keeps going, and you get a a discussion on the heavenly tabernacle. Verse 2, there he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. So the old system, built by human hands, and mind you, it was not bad. The author is not degrading it. In fact, that old tent, that old tabernacle was a reflection of what the heavenly tabernacle was. Exodus chapter 25, verse 40, God told Moses, Be sure to make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on this mountain. That that verse is referenced in verse 5. Most scholars believe that what God showed Moses was a glimpse of the heavenly tabernacle. Look, Moses, here it is. Now you go and build what you just saw. And he did the best he could. Two human hands building what he saw of the heavenly tabernacle. One was built by human hands. One was built by the Lord. One was good. It was all the people knew. It worked. But the other was more fully developed. The one built by the Lord was better. The comparison continues with the discussion on more than just the building, but the system itself. Verse 3, 4, and 5. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. But if he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. They serve in a system that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. Hear this again. This is not a knock against the system that they had been serving in. This is not a knock against the way they had been worshiping. This is just the author saying, look, with Jesus as high priest, we move from the copy to the most fully developed version. To the most complete version, we move from this to what you see on a field. And the author continues this idea of better. He talks about a better covenant. Chapter 8, verse 7 through 9. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. 
But when God found fault with the people, he said this, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the ones I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. Reading that, you think it's safe to say that a new covenant was needed? Okay, the bottom line was the people didn't uphold their end of the bargain. They didn't, they didn't uphold what the covenant was supposed to be. Listen to what they had agreed to in Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 8. <clears throat> God said, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give the people of Israel. God told that to Moses. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded. And all the people responded together, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought back the people's answer to the Lord. Did the people uphold their end of the agreement? If you don't know the answer, read Exodus 19, verse 8, through Malachi 4, verse 6, which is the rest of the Old Testament. And you'll realize the answer to that question is no. The people did not do everything the Lord had commanded like they said they would. That's why the author of Hebrews says, they did not remain faithful to my covenant. Second half of verse 9, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. And here's where verse 6 really becomes powerful. Verse 6 says, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Jesus mediates between the two. The two systems of worship, the two systems of of temple priestlyhood, the two covenants. He mediates between God and humanity. The Greek word for mediator is mesotos, and it means in the middle. And uh, properly, the word means an arbitrator. Someone who guarantees the performance of all the terms stipulated in the agreement. It means someone who intervenes to restore peace between two parties, especially as it fulfills a contract. So what verse 6 is saying is that Jesus, as high priest, is, he's going to guarantee that both sides stick to their end of the agreement. He's going to guarantee that, and we know that God will. God's faithful to his promise. Okay? And we also know that uh, humanity won't. You look at any form of human history, and they will not remain faithful to God. But Jesus steps in and says, I'm going to mediate. I'm going to restore the peace between these two parties. I'm going to make sure that this new covenant happens always. And what was that new covenant? What made it so much better? Verse 10 and following. This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. That's the new covenant. Remember the old covenant? Lots of rules, lots of regulations, lots of sacrifices to make sure that that you were right with God. Lots of, in all honesty, lots of remembering. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and following. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. That's good so far. We like that. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's not bad. I mean, really, if if we did all that stuff, it'd it'd be good. But Jesus is saying there's a new covenant that's more complete, more full. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I'll be their God. They will be my people. And then we get to verse 11, and there's this great wordplay in the Greek. We don't, we don't get to see it in our English translations, but in the Greek, listen to it. Not in Greek, listen to it in English. Uh, for they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. The first time the word know is used, it means to take in knowledge, to to come to know, to ascertain, to, to realize. This is not a bad way to know something. And I don't want to oversimplify saying this is just head knowledge. Because that word also in the New Testament has been used to mean experientially knowing. So it's not a bad thing. But then you get to this second type of knowing. The last half of verse 11. The second type. Everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. The Greek word here is oida. And it means to have seen or to have perceived, and thus to know that way. It's actually the perfect word, uh, the perfect form of the word eidos. And this means the sight of something, the outward appearance, the shape or form, what is physically seen before it's mentally or spiritually apprehended. That's kind of that's heavy. Okay, so I was, I was thinking this morning, how do we best describe that? Well, I like bulldogs. The English Bulldogs, you know, the Gonzaga Bulldog type Bulldogs. And my kids love them too. Anytime we see a poster of a Bulldog, they always stop, they look at it. We've, we've checked out books from the libraries about Bulldogs and we've read about them and we, we know their personality. We know that just bottom line, they're cute dogs. Whether you agree or not, it's true because we think that. Okay? So this morning I'm thinking about that and I look out my window to my office and the house across the street has two Bulldogs. And they come wandering out, you know, the way bulldogs do. I love it. And they make their way around the garden and all the little trees and stuff. And, and I see them. And I realize that not, not just because of what I've read, but because of what I've seen, I now know bulldogs. The old way of knowing in the head and the heart is different than this new way where we're told that we can see God. 
That's how we'll know him. He will be seen. You may be thinking to yourself, well, how's, how's that? Well, remember Philip's question to, to Jesus and John? Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father? To be seen. We're talking about a new, a better covenant held together, mediated by Jesus as our high priest, through whom we can say we have seen, and thus we know the Father. Everyone, from the least and the greatest, will know me already. Wow. This better covenant. More fully developed covenant. What is the result of it? What's the result of that betterness? Verse 12. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Two chapters later, chapter 10, verse 18. And when the sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. The result of this better covenant is the forgiveness of sins, the ultimate forgiveness of them. Isn't that what all the sacrifices in the Old Testament were meant to do? Isn't that why the people continually brought animals to the high priest and said, sacrifice this for me so that my sins can be forgiven and I can be right with God? We have a better covenant in Jesus Christ and our sins are gone. Verse 13, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he's made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. Or another translation, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. He, he makes what is becoming obsolete and growing old. It's ready to vanish. Out of date, disappearing, old, obsolete, vanish. These are strong words. Words that may paint the picture of what was before was bad and what was new was good. But remember our definition of better. It's more fully developed. You also got to remember that the author of Hebrews was writing to a people who had for years, decades, centuries, only ever knew a certain form of worship. They had only ever known the foosball table of worship. Then Jesus comes along, and as high priest, he has this more fully developed way to the Father. He has a completed way to the Father, a better way. Once they had seen with their eyes and known with their head and their heart what this new way was, it would have been hard to go back. It's fun to play foosball. Oh, it's amazing to play soccer on a field. This chapter is so much better than just Jesus is a better high priest. It really is a reworking of of, a more completeness of, of the faith, of how we experience it through Jesus. It really is about newness. Listen to a couple of scriptures. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. You know this one. After Jesus, after supper, Jesus took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out to you as a sacrifice. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. We are confident of all this because our great trust in God through Christ. It's not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. A new covenant. A better covenant. What do we do with this this morning? Where do we go from here? Perhaps after hearing this message, you've, you've come to realize that though you've only ever lived in a new covenant time, you have been trying in the old covenant way to get right with God. Maybe you're trying to earn God's approval by doing the right things, talking right, saying the right things, thinking right. That's not bad. That's good. But they won't get you right with God. There's a better way. Perhaps you've been living your life with the thought that God is directing your every move, right? Only side to side. And you only move when he flicks his wrist. Perhaps you felt a little bit tied in. Maybe you've never realized that God wants to give you the freedom to run, to cheer, to jump, to laugh, to feel emotions of every kind. Kind of like on the sideline that day at the soccer field. Perhaps you've only ever known God up here in your head. And you've heard the section today about being able to truly know him because you can see him. And today you want to see God in the life and person of Jesus Christ. Or maybe, maybe you become comfortable only knowing God in a, in a set system. You know, inside four walls where there's six psalms, a, a plate that's passed and somebody stands up and talks. And hear me on this, that's not bad. We've been doing that for 2,000 years. But perhaps today, God is saying, you can experience me even more fully and even more completely on every day of the week because there's something better in Jesus. I'm not quite sure what you guys will have gotten out of today. But my hope and my prayer is that when you leave, you will have encountered something better. And that better is, of course, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I know we live in a culture where we're always looking for the next best thing. Technologically, you buy something one day and in three months it's obsolete. We're always looking for that better job, that better relationship that, uh, you know, that better house, that better car, whatever it is, we're always looking for better. Yet, Lord, this morning you have showed us better. You have showed us most complete, most full in Jesus Christ. God, my prayer this morning is that we would grab a hold of that and that our faith, our experience of worship, our understanding of church, would be made complete. And if it already has been, it would be broadened because we have seen the Father through the Son. And we have recognized that in the Son there is a better covenant where you have written on our minds and hearts your ways.
and where through the Spirit we can have life. God, I pray for those today who may be here that are, that are looking for that better. May they find it in you, in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, for others who are, you know, just, just kind of wondering what to do with today. Make it clear to them. Bring to mind what you want them to remember. And Lord, I thank you that you have showed us in your Son what is better. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.